In this, the last episode of Season 7, I have a chat with Wade Lee, a birder who calls Magnoni Private Game Reserve in Zululand his home. He tells us more about the reserve and how it was growing up in such a stunning piece of Africa. We also have a chat about reserves and the importance of AV tourism, the controversial Zanin Waterhen, as well as finding out about Wade's time in Ecuador. Westermans is running a wild bird card competition. When you buy a Westermans Wild Bird 10kg limited edition bag, you get two collectible cards, and in addition to collecting the Wild Bird cards, you'll stand the chance to win amazing prizes worth over 100,000 Rand, including a pair of Swarovski EL 10x42 HD binoculars, valued at 45,000 Rand. The competition runs until the 31st of August, and you can find more details at www. Westmans.co.za. Westmans for the love of birds. My name is Adam, and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. So, let's get into this week's episode, which is the last episode of season seven. So, Wade. Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. Thank you for having me, Adam. It's uh, been a long time coming. Yeah, I've been having a lot of chats about this and talking about what we're going to talk about. But I think the fact that you've done some overseas trips and that, I think this is the right time to do this episode. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely agree with you on that note. Yeah, it's uh, been fun on my adventures recently. A lot of the KZM birders know who you are. Um, we'll talk about where you're based in a moment. Um, super jealous. But for the sake of people that have no flipping idea who you are, because we've got people all around the world, so this is your like two minutes of fame. I, I said this to Kiana Cantor, so I'll tell you the same. So if you had to <laughs> do a Tinder profile, I know you've got a girlfriend, so but if you had to do a Tinder profile, introduce yourself, what would you say? <laughs> That's a weird way of putting it. Um, but no, my name's Wade Lee. I'm 20 years currently, 21 years in October. And I have an undying passion for birding, herping, and just being in nature sort of 24-7. You, you won't catch me in the cities too often. But if you're a person that loves the outdoors, um definitely your man so yeah all the the ladies can send their messages but he's taken so yeah it's kind of it's not 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 open but something that's super cool about you and i'm super jealous about this is the fact that you have grown up in manyoni game reserve so what is it like growing up in one of kzn's and south africa's best game reserves and for those that don't know you can kind of brag about the birding a little bit but manyoni is probably one of kzn's premier birding reserves tell us what was it like growing up in the reserve no it's so i've been living here before manioni was even manioni itself when it was all different properties that were all different sorts of game farms where they had lodges and just the general plains game um and slowly but surely i watched all of the properties drop fences and then we became Zululand Rhino Reserve, and a couple years later, we decided to change the name and uh, have it more fitting 
to our bird list. So we call it Manyoni Private Game Reserve. Manyoni is a Zulu word for place of birds. And uh, I think this reserve has definitely lived up to its name, bringing in quite a lot of good birds, decent rarities too. I mean, not too long ago, we had red-tailed shrike, which is, I believe it was the Turkmenistan race that came down. Yeah, it's like, it's 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 one of those reserves is always rarities pitching up. I mean, it's not just the rarity list. I mean, just to do normal birding there. I mean, I came up and I stayed at Zebra Hills about two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, too long ago. But the birding in the reserve is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's it. I mean, what are some of the specials? If somebody came and said we want to do a monyoni chip, what are some of the? Let me just just use this word. It's a very bad word, but what are some of the normal birds that you can expect at monyoni? <laughs> so Narina, starting with the forest birds. I mean, we can start with Narina trogan, African broadbill, eastern nicota. Um, sure. Down along the river thickets, we've got quite a few rock faces. So you're looking at Cape Rock Thrush, which isn't the easiest to see up here in Zululand. Um, green twin spots, grey wax balls, pink-throated twin spots, um, blue mantle crested flycatcher, grey sunbird. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the decent specials for that forest thicket birding and then you start climbing out and then you start getting your bearded scrub robin white-throated robin chats um yeah and then planes obviously now you're looking for all of your raptors flying around dark chanting goshawk gabar goshawk lizard buzzard shikra um african hawk eagle recently we've been having one or two sightings of Ayers Hawk Eagle, which is it's still missing from my list for Manioni. So it's, I'm always out there looking at every Hawk Eagle, trying to turn it into an Ayers Hawk Eagle. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, I've gone a little bit blank, but yeah, no, there's there's decent birding here on Manioni, um, and also I believe that we we get a lot of rarities and the birding is so good here is because most of the guides here on Manioni are birders too and we all every day pretty much birding and finding different birds and with so many birders around you're bound to to pick up a rarity yeah and then it means one of those places that you kind of get a lot of the Someone said a lot of the Kruger specials and that kind of thing. Like kind of they, it's kind of like almost the southernmost kind of place. I know you get some at Pongola Nature Resort also, but you kind of have this this connection point between a whole lot of different areas, and it's like amazing. I mean, I just get blown away at the birds that turn up there. I mean, uh, it's it's insane. I mean, it's it's it has to be like like I said earlier, no exaggeration. It has to be one of South Africa's premier birding reserves. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you there. The thing of just being reminded when you mentioned Kruger there, um, we've had cutthroat finch as well, as well as red-headed finch. Um, I might be mistaken, but I think Manyoni has had 
the most golden pippet records in Southern Africa. I could be wrong with that one, but I think we're sitting at about five or six. And we held a female not too long ago, and she was actually looked like she was building a nest, which is quite interesting behavior. Most of all of the golden pippet records have only been males, so it was quite interesting to have a female come down. And yeah, like you said, Pongola Nature Reserve does get a bit more of those um, Kruger birds coming down, like your Red Bull Buffalo Weaver, your Birchall Starling, and birds birds like that. But Mignoni, we we slowly getting, those Birchall Starlings are slowly creeping more south, so are the Red Bull Buffalo Weavers, so eventually Mignoni will start getting a few more species too. So this will be a double question, and I know you've just kind of got into, into you've been guiding for a long time. We can talk about that in a moment. You've just started with Rock Jumper, which is awesome. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one of my theories with Magnoni is this, and, I, and, and it's a compliment because I'll talk about this after this, is that I think one of the reasons why such amazing birds are recorded there is because of the amount of fantastic bird guides that they are like you said i mean a lot of reserves you go to and you go to these five-star reserves and you're looking for birds and the the rangers with all respect all they really know is the the mammals and you try and find out about the bird species and i think the fact that you guys have clued up birders i mean it's obviously a fantastic birding area don't get me wrong but i think the fact that you have all these good birders in the reserve i think does help to to grow the bird list i mean you've got adam riley and the, the as one of the the lodge owners there so yeah i mean would you agree with that that that's possibly one of the reasons why the list is so good not, not taking away from the fact that it is a fantastic birding area no definitely i can definitely agree on that uh, a lot of a lot of that i do believe has to do with adam riley the owner and founder of rock jumper worldwide birding adventures um Going back to lockdown, obviously all of the guides stayed on property. Um, we were doing bush clearing and all sorts. I was busy finishing my trick. So I don't know how I passed. I only did about two or three hours of schoolwork a day and I birded the rest. But Adam actually sat and almost in a way coached all of the guides here on the reserve to look at the final little details in birds and he he helped get them to that sort of next step in birding so i mean i do have to say a lot a lot has to have been done with all of the birders here on the reserve um i'll be honest a few years ago it wasn't that good but as soon as adam sort of came into this reserve and started taking birding to a whole another level it also pushed a lot of the guides here to sit down, look at different birds, look at the finer details when it's just a few little markings on a cesticula that are different to, yeah, all of the colorful birds, just looking at them more in detail. Um, so yeah, a lot has to do with Adam and yeah, we've got a few big listers here on the reserve. I mean, every now and again, David Hodenot comes through. He's uh, sort of family with one of the general managers here on the reserve. So they they do quite a bit of birding 
which has uplifted his birding as well. Not not David's, but the the general managers. And yeah, it just comes back down to surround yourself with people that are better than you and you'll become like them. The one question I've got, and I'm kind of going somewhere with this, and uh, I know you might not say you're the biggest expert, but you've been on the reserve a long time. So the reserve was this kind of big five reserve. It was, uh, there was obviously, you spoke about the history when the fences came down, and it obviously was predominantly a big five reserve before where all the the mammal people would have come and that kind of thing. But since the, the birding list have, gone out and Adam's been involved in that and the the guards have upped their skills in terms of birding have you seen a huge uptake in terms of birders coming onto the lodge so why I'm asking the question has it been worth it has it just been something that like yeah it's it's cool to have these bird lists and to know what's on the lodge because it's or, or know what's on the reserve for the sake of the uh, you know for the few interested guests who come in who like birds or has there has there def- definitely been, because Adam's done this, has there been uptake in the amount of birders? So it's actually affected the the reserve in a, a positive way in terms of the, you know, attracting the AV tourism, the birding market. Yeah, so they, if I'm being honest, there's a few b- birders here and there that are just there for the birds. But a lot of the, the guests that we get are, mainly interested in the mammals and the big game, the cats, you know, and have a slight interest in birding. Um, Every now and again, it is the opposite where it's just birders and then a little bit interested in the mammals. Like if they see a lion, it's okay, cool. But if they see a gorgeous bushrock, that's, that's the cherry on the top, on top of the cake for them. So, it it has increased slightly where a few more birders are coming onto the reserve and staying at the lodges, but it's it's not as much as you you'd like to think. Um, only time where there's real loads of birders on the reserve is when there's a rarity here on Manioni. Unfortunately, I would like that to change where the birders actually come and stay at the lodges. And it's mainly for birding purposes, not not for the big game and a little bit of the birds. Yeah, the reason I ask the question is I've always, you know, I've always had this belief that the AV tourism, you know, the birding market is is a massive market. But the sad thing is, is very few reserves actually cater for it. There are reserves that do, and it's super cool. And Magnolia is one of the few reserves that actually are really that focus on birders and, you know, focus on their unique needs. I mean, if I came there as a birder um, to Manyoni and for overseas people, this is why you should visit Manyoni. It's not, this is not a paid advert. It's just saying um, the guides know birds and you can tell them this is the birds I want to see. And they know the, the big, the bigger species, they can point you to a raptor and say, this is what it is based on this year. But they also know the smaller species. And, you know, for someone who stayed on the reserve, maybe you're not a, uh, you know, the, the, haven't been guiding for many years but the question i want to ask you is is for a lodge that might be listening who or a reserve who's got guides and they want to they want to better cater for the the birding market but at the same time obviously they've got to balance out you know you spoke about people come for the mammals what what would be your suggestion so if you had to speak to a lodge you got the chance to coach some newer um, field uh, f- uh, bird guides or, 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 or rangers at a reserve, how can they better cater for birders while at the same time still being open to the people that are looking for the, the big, the, 
the the mammals because there is a market for av tourism definitely yeah no uh, i do believe av tourism is uh, taking off um it is a difficult one to to sort of balance between that big game and the the birds but the way that i do it is obviously when we start out in the morning i focus a little bit more on the birds because that's when you're getting your dawn chorus and most of your birds are active and i mean the same time that we're doing that we're driving areas where there's possibly lines and such so i break up my time uh listen for all the bird calls i'm looking down on the road for for lion tracks or elephant tracks whatever the the target species for them that day is um and yeah game jobs are usually about like three hours or so so i break it up into about an hour hour and a half of birding but not strictly birding stopping there at those nyalas and impalas and looking at the red bulldogs peckers, busy pruning them, busy taking ticks off of them, speaking about a few of the facts of red bulldogs peckers, getting the other guests that aren't really interested in birds, getting them interested and getting them to ask the questions about birds, which is which is always quite nice. Most of my guests, when they they come, they come just for the mammals and when they leave they leave with a slight interest in birding because if we face it there's only so many lions that you can see in the world i mean a lion here is the same lion up in kenya but birding is completely different there's a whole world of diversity when you delve into the world of birds so i think that does capture them but it's all about spreading your time which is quite tricky and sometimes you don't always get the balance but then you balance it out on the next on the next game drive if you focused a lot on the birds in the first game drive you focus a little bit more on the the mammal side of things in the the next drive but if we're being honest the guests are there to enjoy nature for the most part and they they enjoy it whether you're looking for birds looking for the smaller mammals like elephant shrews or if you're looking at the big elef- big animals such as your elephants the obvious answer to this would be <laughs> because you live in a game reserve but i know that a lot of people who have grown up in reserves this is not necessarily their story so you grew up in a reserve big five reserve and uh, i know it was quite a young age where you started birding so how did this passion for birding started that's taken you around the world how did the story start yeah so it it started with with my dad he he used to be a birder before before i came along and at the early age of eight um i started taking an interest in obviously the colorful birds so your lilac breasted roller gorgeous bush rug all of those birds and just over the years seeing the diversity of birds and how many different species there are got got me going i mean like i said just now a lion here is the same lion in kenya elephant here is the same elephant in kenya but with birds there's always something different always something to look at and then obviously their calls is 
early morning is such a rewarding time of day when you're just hearing all of the birds calling and busy serenading you. Um, and it does take you all across the world to get that next bird, get that next member of a different bird family, just experience different things. I mean, I'm not going to be going to Kenya for the mammals. I've seen all of the mammals here, which are the mammals in Kenya. Only thing that I'd like to see is like a Gerenuk in Kenya, which is a weird looking creature, but I'll get there one day. But my main focus is the birds and yeah, I owe that all, all to my dad to, for getting me interested in them. This will be quite a hard question to answer. So I'm going to ask you anyway, but this will be tough. Just you prepared for it? <laughs> Throw it at me. Let, let's see if I can handle it. So I know there's like a million, like you can give me a million stories. Okay? Not quite a million, but a lot of stories. What is your most epic South African birding memory? I mean, I know there's lots, but what is the thing that just like straight away just jumps out at you? That is like, if you had a story that you want to tell, that if you sat around a story and said, tell me the story, what is the most epic South African birding story you've you've got? Sure. That, uh, that is an interesting question. If I just have to think of the top of my head, I'd probably say it's um, walking down a river looking for powers fishing out for the very first time. After looking for this bird, I kid you not, for a good six, seven years, and not finding it and eventually we were given a pin drop for a green mulcoa nest of all things to because that was another nemesis bird of mine um so there we went walking through this riparian forest with all these giant fig trees and as we're walking we get to this spot in the river and there's a large fig tree branch hanging over the river and we're like geez this would be a good spot for a powers fishing owl and as we carry on walking the powers took out from right above our heads so could you not maybe five seven meters above us flew 20 30 meters in front of us caught a fish in the river flew up into the top of one of the sycamore fig trees and started eating away on a on a barbel. And after so many years of looking for this bird, and then you get a sighting like that, I mean, that just blew my socks off. That, that, that was probably one of the best days of birding I've had in my entire life. And then the opposite, um, and if you say you haven't, then you haven't really been birding. What is your most embarrassing birding moment? I mean, has maybe it's a uh, an idea you've got wrong. Maybe it's something just. What is what is something that just sticks out? Like something that you just wish no one knew about, but because you're on the Birding Up podcast, you're gonna tell the whole world about your embarrassing birding moment now. Oof, no, no, that's that's an even trickier question to answer. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe not exactly to do with birding, but while I was in Ecuador the these past few months last year and beginning of this year we were heading down towards a cock of the rock lake and starting out at 4 30 in the morning because you get there just before they start lacking and calling and displaying 
and as the sun rises and the light fills the valley you start seeing these red broad red birds flying around and all trying to get the female attention um but early morning there you you're still half asleep and now hearing these calls and it it's the call of a pale legged hornero um but i just called it something completely the opposite i think i called it a grackle or, or something like that or a cowbird and the guests looked at me and they like no they, there's no grackle around there's no cowbird around and sort of rubbed my eyes listened again and then that's when it dawned upon me that it's a pale legged hornero and so that's how that morning started out and then as we were walking down towards the little hide for the lek i uh took a little fall because obviously out there in the cloud forests and rainforests so it's constantly moist constantly raining and i took a nice tumble in front of the guests which was quite embarrassing so that would probably be one of the most embarrassing as always the birding life is proud to be associated with sarofsky optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the BirdLasser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website www.thebirdinglife.com If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com So I'm going to ask you the question that is dividing the birding community as a whole now. And the only reason is because you've been the first guest I've had. I actually had Fancy last week, but it hadn't kind of been, it wasn't as going to and, to and fro as it has been right now. But tell us your opinion on... South Africa's most controversial bird right now, the white-breasted water hen that showed up at Zanin. Tell us about your opinion. Escapee or is it uh, a vagrant and why? Sure. You know, the the lister inside of me says it's a vagrant, a true vagrant. I mean, they found there in the Middle East... It's not too far from the African continent. It could have come down that east coast all the way down here to Zanin and settled on a little farm dam. But by the looks of it, it might be an escapee because I know there's a few pet stores nearby that do sell birds and such. But it's yet to be confirmed, so... I still believe it's a vagrant. Um, I mean, weirder things have pitched. Little Craig, Wood Warbler. Bear in mind, those do have decent migration patterns, whereas the water hen doesn't really migrate. There's a few a few populations that of water hen that do migrate. But yeah, that, that's, that's the only part of me that's a little skeptical, is that they're not big migrators such as your wood warbler or your 
green warbler, I believe it was, that was found down in the Western Cape. Um, so I, I really do hope it's a, a vagrant and the the National Rarities Committee deem it a true vagrant because um, it would be a nice addition to the list, my personal list, as well as the Southern African list. Um, but it's, it's such a difficult position to say yay or nay if it is a vagrant or if it isn't a vagrant. I do know people are looking into it if they if there has been any water hen escapes from the pet stores local or around South Africa I believe but yeah it's 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 difficult to say and I'm glad I'm not in the position to say that it is or that it isn't um it, it's definitely going to be a tough job for the National Rarities Committee you know, one of the things there's there's kind of, and I'll say I'm just going to say it because this is my podcast, but there's there's a perception that a lot of people have in in South Africa, and it's probably not a fully fair thing in Trevor's defence, but a lot of people have this. Uh, people from around other parts of the country beside the Western Cape think that they've almost seem to accept rarities in the western cape and vagrants in the western cape a lot easier than they do in other parts of the country and you know it's you know i, I don't i do think trevor is doing a fantastic job and you know behind the scenes he's obviously trying his best to the, the whole obviously rarities committee is trying to make sure that the right things are recorded but you know the the one thing i think we had a conversation over whatsapp about this but the american purple gallinule which i don't know i don't know what kind of research went to do behind the scenes to see if it wasn't an escapee um but you know the interest, interesting thing about that which a lot of people were commenting on was how tame that bird was around people i mean it was just literally walking walking up like 30 seconds away 30 30 like centimeters away from people and yeah, it's just it's just interesting you know the this you know the, as much as we're talking about the water hen right now this is one of those conversations that, I mean, if you look on the online forums, I mean, this is something that really, really opens up a can of worms because it's, it, it doesn't just kind of go into the, the water hen straight away. Then people are talking about the gallinule because the behavior was, you know, very, was a very tame bird, uh, you know, for a, for a, for a vagrant. But yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. A lot of, I mean, whatever I say now is going to cause controversy, but yeah, it's, it's interesting conversation either way yeah no i do agree with you that uh the hot the purple gallinule was definitely pushing boundaries there almost walking over people's feet and such but from our time in south america look those birds do get quite accustomed to to feeders and to people i mean i watched purple gallinules down in the amazon walking on vines towards the plantain feeders chasing off the tanagers. So they they do become quite domesticated. So I mean that that could be an arguing point to to the bird in the Western Cape if it came from an area where there are lodges and plantain feeders for avitourism, that that bird has been accustomed to that and it came across accidentally to South Africa and carried on thinking it was in South America just doing its thing with more guests 
Um, I'm not quite sure over in in Asia if they are such bird feeders like that that are as prolific as in South America. But that that could be an arguing point as to why that purple gallinule was was quite tame and not scared of humans. But yeah, the, the the water hen does seem to to be quite skittish. But I mean, it could also just be that individual that is quite skittish. You know, you always get those birds, and I believe every bird has its own personality. It, not one bird is exactly the same, even if the plumage is exactly the same. I don't believe a bird in itself with its personality is the same. Yeah, I think that's a, v- a very good point there. And I think that's something which, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about before the conversation. It's a very, very, very balanced view. I think, you know, something that a lot of, I guess, the guys that are part of these, uh, you know, these guys that decide on the, rar- the rarities committee, they, you know, it's not just knowing it's it's being aware of the behavior of the bird and sometimes you know we kind of make a judgment call you know like like i said on that kind of thing there without being aware of the bird's natural natural behavior i think you know all those kinds of things have to come into play and it's like you said earlier i mean the it's 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 a whole can of worms because it's not just the 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 you know the the one up in um, Zanin, it's 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 a whole lot of other birds, and it's but interesting conversation nevertheless. And I think it's it probably adds adds to a deeper conversation about listing and a whole lot of other things. So yeah, but let's let's talk about um, some of the birds in their natural habitats, and we don't have very very long to chat about this, but uh, I think it is really cool to chat about you. Um, recently did a trip to um, Ecuador and who was it I chatted to? Um, I can't remember who it was now. I chatted to someone <laughs> and the name will come to me just now. And we were talking about the best birding places in the world and he actually said that Ecuador is probably the mo- one of the most accessible birding countries in the entire world. So you did a trip to Ecuador. So you visited some amazing places you visited the coast you visited the amazon you visited the eastern foothills the cloud forests oh man it's it's like such an epic place to visit tell us about this this trip to ecuador and why every birder has to visit ecuador sometime in their life yeah so i went over to ecuador just to broaden knowledge and also i needed a change of scenery um being here on the game reserve my entire life i got extremely bored and needed to challenge myself so i decided to ditch africa and go to south america all the way over to ecuador and so i got a guarding job at Bejavista cloud forest lodge um, which is on the western slope of the andes um and I mean, if you look at Ecuador, Ecuador is tiny. It, it'll probably fit into the Northern Cape and Western Cape combined. That's that's how small it is. And it boasts, I believe, 1,714 species. So for density, um, it's it's definitely... I think it's number one in the world for for density. Um, 
and there's there's just birds everywhere. I mean, pretty much the only reason I went down to the coast was because I couldn't leave the country without have, having an endemic on my list. So I went down and I got Esmeralda's wood star, which is a little hummingbird that's no bigger than six and a half centimeters, I believe. Obviously, I was based up in the choco cloud forests on the western slope. So I did a lot of birding there. I mean, you're looking at things like plate build mountain toucan. Um, and so yeah, I went down to the coast. The only reason I went down there was to get Esmeralda's wood star because I couldn't leave that country without seeing an endemic. So I got Esmeralda's wood star, which is no bigger than I believe six and a half, seven centimeters. Um, I was based up in the western choco cloud forest. So you're looking at birds like Tanager finch, which I believe is only found in two spots in the world. And Beja Vista in the choco cloud forest is one of them. The other one little spot, which I believe is one little forest in southwestern Colombia. Um, the very colorful plate build mountain toucan i mean you're looking at six seven eight different colors on a bird and they're all striking and stand out um and then obviously go up into the andes that paramo habitat and it's a strange habitat i mean i think in all of the paramo habitat there's only something like 328 species um but it is very rewarding being up there. I mean, Ecuadorian hill star was my 300th bird in Ecuador, and that's a beauty. You're looking at this white bird, white hummingbird, and that head where the neck begins, it's this emerald green, and then that head is just this beautiful reflective purple color, and they feed on a plant called Chukiragua, which is, it almost resembles a protea here for us, but I guess you could call it the South American version of a protea. Um, Andean ibis, which is an endangered species. Um, silvery grebe on those high lakes. I mean, you're birding at around 4,000 to 5,200 meters above sea level. Andean condors just flying overhead in Antisana National Park. And then you go a little bit lower than that, and then you're into the eastern cloud forests. So you're there at Guango Lodge, you're looking for sword-billed hummingbird, tourmaline, sun angel, um, what else? Torrent duck. Some of the mammals that you can see there is mountain tapir, which I believe there's only... 2,500 left in the world, spectacled bear, which is probably around the size of a black bear, but a slightly more, more endangered or harder to find than your black bears up in North America. Then you start going lower into the foothills. I visited Waira Park or Waira National Park, which is part of the Yokotoko and Pitta Foundation. Um, they're rufescent tiger heron or fasciated tiger heron, 
Um, you're starting to get those poison dart frogs. You're finding all these sort of tinamous, which is almost like a Franklin-sized bird, but a lot harder to see. Um, also all sorts of different hummingbirds, you know, great sapphire wing, um, many spotted hummingbird. I'm trying to think, oh, cerulean warbler, which was a must see on my list. This like baby blue with white and oh, su such a beauty. Um, and then obviously as soon as you go lower than that and you, you down into the Amazon and that, was my main target there was macaws and king vulture i managed to see king vulture twice while i was down there and i didn't get any of the usual macaws like yellow and blue macaw but i did get i believe oh, let let me grab my bird book real quick i've forgotten its name apologies Shows you human after all, eh? Macaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, red-bellied macaw. There we go. That one I did get to see. One of the smaller macaws out there. Um, but nonetheless, a macaw. And so many different parrot species. I mean, it, it's so amazing. Um, and going back to the coast, I mean, I got to see blue-footed booby, Peruvian booby, brown booby. Um loads of different turns yeah so many so many birds and then how's the infrastructure because you know you've spoken about traveling all around the country and visiting all these fantastic places but how's the infrastructure to travel to these places is it easy to get around the country yeah it's fairly easy and cheap to to head around the country obviously because it is quite small so traveling times isn't too extensive. Um, I traveled in bus, so obviously it did take a little longer than a vehicle would, but it was a lot cheaper than a vehicle. I think in all of my travels, I must have spent $400, $500. And that was down to the coast, that was down to the Amazon, down to the foothills, up to the Paramo, yeah, it was, I'd say, probably two, three months worth of traveling that that I did. Um, so, yeah, it's it's fairly, fairly easy. Infrastructure, it is, it, it's not the greatest. Um, there, there's obviously room for improvement. But there's just something about it that, yeah, I've I've fallen in love with it. The the, I mean, it's it's not the infrastructure isn't as good as let's say Joburg or some of those bigger cities. But I'd say it's on par with with the the smaller cities. Like if you go into Hilton, that's sort of the setup that you're looking at in the in the lower towns all around Ecuador. I think when you're over there again, and I know you're spending a bit more time than in the near future, but it'll be quite cool to kind of do some birding diaries, you know, get hold of you now and then and just catch up and do like a little catch up of what birds you see. It'd be quite cool to get Wade's birding diaries from Ecuador. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, have my first tours for Rock Jumper 
to Ecuador in 2025. And I believe 2026, I'm going to be spending most of my time guiding for rock jumper around around South America, which which is always nice. Um, obviously, I had to learn Spanish as well, so that's that's another asset that I got from traveling overseas. Wade, it's been super cool to chat to you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to having you on again. I know we want to chat more about Ecuador, but it just went a little bit of a different way, but it's been so cool to chat to you. Shot for giving up your time. This is actually the last episode of season 10 so you got kind of like the episode that's the cherry on the top so yeah you got the prestigious last episode of the season no it's 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 been such a pleasure being on the birding life podcast with yourself and i feel honored being here in your presence and all that you've created with the birding life it's uh it's been a journey i'm sure and um i'm keen to look where it where it heads off to. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.